um, through Bethel and returns to Zuccoth. He sets up shop with his 11 children. Uh, Benjamin is not just ready uh, yet uh, to come out. Um, and so Jacob is on a long journey, and he's got to deal with a lot of things. Now, God has a purpose for uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He told Abraham, I'm going to choose Isaac, not Ishmael. He told Isaac, Jacob, not Esau. And so we find that God is going to bless not just Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, but he's going to bless the whole world. And he's going to bless the whole world through Jacob. He's going to bless the whole world through Jacob. And we find that as Jacob is transformed into Israel, we now find Jesus talking to the Sadducees, and he says, um, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And we find that the whole world is changed because of Jacob, because through Jacob, Jesus has come, and he turns to Pilate, uh, and he says, if my kingdom was of this world, angels would come to defend me. And so there's this blessing that comes through Jacob. How did it come? Well, we're going to have to take a long journey, and we're going to have to know at least three things before we go on this journey, and that is God's sovereignty uh, and his providence, and another word that you're probably not as familiar with, and that is concurrence. Now, sovereignty is really easy. And if you want to, you can turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and we can simply see what sovereignty is all about. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said... Let there be light. That's God's sovereignty. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, you might not know what light is. Uh, What we do know right now, if you were going to the physics lab, if you want to get rid of all light, you would have to get rid of every proton, every neutron, every electron to get rid of light. Well, we don't need to worry about that because we don't have to worry about creating it or understanding it. This is what God did. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Well, there's other times in which God's sovereignty can be seen. Lazarus, come forth. That's his sovereignty. Whenever God does something, and it happens, that's his sovereignty. I remember sitting in uh, Tyler's uh, office, and we were talking away about lots of different things and talking about books and It was a wonderful time of talking theology because I never really met anybody like Tyler who I could talk to and we were kind of on the same wavelength everywhere. Um, And as we were sitting there, guess who walks in and says, what about free will? And so Jan kind of threw a monkey wrench in the whole conversation we were having. And so 
what happened then was we had to start talking about Providence. And in fact, Tyler ordered it, or ordered it the same time I did. And so if you ever have a chance, order this. It's a wonderful book about Providence. But what is Providence? Well, one of the nice things about uh, Providence is uh, I get to, t- I get to uh, discuss one of my pet peeves. Um, got to demonstrate a little bit of physics as well. It has to, uh, you can understand it if you want to look at Newtonian mechanics even, which is simply meaning Newton's last law, which is action-reaction. And that'll help us understand providence. One of the things that I don't, uh, I really get annoyed with is when you look at some of the newer movies, you have this 90-pound girl taking down a 300-pound man. And so at one show, she fires a gun like this, she stands straight, he goes up against the wall. I'm sorry, action, reaction, not going to happen. Or she hits him and he goes flying up against the wall, not going to happen. And so when I'm in, in the classroom, it's very easy to demonstrate uh, this idea simply using my 90-pound girl and my 400-pound man. And I can demonstrate providence because if I'm a 90-pound woman, notice she's moving like crazy and he's not moving at all. And so then when we think about God's providence, It's the sledgehammer. And when I was young, my dad said, we need some friendly persuasion, and I knew exactly what he wanted me to get, was the sledgehammer. When we think about God, we think of his sovereignty. But when we think of us, when we start to do our actions, when we sin, what's going on? What, what's God going to do then? It does, if we take a look at this illustration here, we find that when it comes to providence, God will use what we have done for good. So what are you going to do? Maybe you did something very, very, very good. And God's going to use it for something good, possibly. If we do something that's not good, we may mean it for evil, but God's going to use it for, what did Joseph say? He's going to use it for good. And so when we look at God's providence in Jacob's life, we're looking at all of the things that are going on, and sometimes Jacob's doing the right thing, but sometimes Jacob isn't doing the right thing. And there's going to be a change. God's going to providentially use the situation for good. And what you find is that Jacob leaves Bethel. He returns and he's now setting up shop in Zuccoth. And we find God is um, changing uh, the situations in Jacob's life. So I'm going to uh, quickly go through the boring part. 
I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in which you were asked to watch somebody's uh, vacation slides. Um, I think my in-laws have a stack of carousels this deep. Uh, whenever they went out vacationing, they took lots of slides and such. Um, so let's take a look here. I'm just looking at the right button to hit. Which button is it? Point it back here at you. And I don't know if anything is on right now because I'm hitting every single button. Oh, wait a minute. There is an on-off button, isn't there? There we go. Now I can feel it. Good. We're still, we're still, there we go. Okay, Jacob's story. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on looking at Jacob's story here, but you can see where he started from, Dead Sea right over there. There we go. Let's see if we can actually get going. There we go. So he starts off where Isaac is, and he's going up here. Uh, he goes right past Damascus, all the way up there. And we see Jacob spends about 20 years right up there. And then he's on his way back. And there is Mayhem right there. And he finds his way to Zakath, and there he sets up shock. And you look at that and say, well, isn't that nice and boring? Well, what happens is what you can do now is, I'm not going to spend all this time on it, but here's a way, great devotional for you. Go back and start reading when he leaves Bethel and look at all the time that God intervenes in his life. I had a laugh because in one of the situations he's starting to have children and who doesn't have any children? Rachel. And what does he say to Rachel? Am I God? Because she wants a child and he's not, there's no, there's no child. So with, what we can do is we see all of these situations here in which uh, Abra, uh, sorry, Jacob is doing things and not probably the correct things and God is intervening and he finally gets him to Zakath there and that's where he sets up shop with his family and you can shut that off at that point. Now one of the interesting things that I noticed is there is a bracket uh, that occurs in uh, the scriptures there. If you want, you can turn to, you know, the bracket has to do with Psalm 34.7, if you have Psalm 34.7 there. Psalm 34.7. Psalm 34.7 says, the angels of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. One of the striking things that happened was Jacob left Bethel. And remember, it was, oh, there's the stairway to heaven. And he sees angels climbing and, and declining up and down the, the staircase. And now he's arriving back at Mahanim in Genesis 30, 32. And he says, this is the camp of God because he's seeing angels 
there as well. And it's almost as if Israel is surrounded by angels because God has something special to take place in Israel. And if you remember even the story of Elijah, remember uh, his poor servant was afraid that something bad was going to happen, but God, but God opened his eyes and he was able to see the army of angels there. Well, anyway, let's turn to Genesis 32, 9. And as I was looking at Genesis 32, starting at 9, I noticed something very interesting. And if you don't agree with me, that's okay. Verse 32, 9. So verse 32, 9, all the way down to verse 11. And what's happening here is Jacob is praying just before he enters into the promised land. And when you look at that prayer, it's amazingly similar to the Lord's Prayer. Now, we're not supposed to pray the Lord's Prayer again and again and again and again and again. That's just not the way it is. But Jesus said, if you're going to pray, pray like this. And look at what it says in verse 9. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord. And he continues on. Now what's the Lord's prayer start like? Our Father who art in heaven. We address who God is. And it's very similar to that because he's talking about the God of Abraham. And he addresses God by name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And Jacob addresses him as Lord, capital O, capital, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D by name. And then Jacob prays, still continue on in verse 9, who said to me, go back to your country, sorry, Lord, you said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. And I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan. Now I have become two groups. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And Jacob says, Lord, you told me to go back into your country, to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. And that's the Lord's kingdom that he's going to prosper. The Lord's going to do that. We're also told in the Lord's Prayer to pray for our daily bread. I think he's got a lot of daily bread, doesn't he? He had one staff when he went. Now he's two groups. When he's now going back, crossing the Jordan. Verse 11 says, Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, also the mother's uh, also the mothers and their children. Now, this one here, I have to admit, is a little bit backwards. We're supposed to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Um, when we think of Jacob and Esau, who is the worst sinner? Jacob seems to want to get it get it, uh, do all sorts of nasty things to his brother. So it's almost switched around. 
uh, there, but needless to say, Jacob was doing the bad things. But needless to say, he was asking for forgiveness, and he was, his heart was broken that uh, Esau thought that he should kill him. And, but the end of the Lord's Prayer is still this, deliver us from evil. And so he's asking the Lord to deliver him from his brother Esau. And so we see the pattern there that's laid out in Scripture, not simply in the Lord's Prayer, but the prayer that Jacob was praying. And it's an awesome thing to uh, pray to the living God. Now in verse 12, it's interesting uh, what he's praying for there. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. Jacob was told by God himself in uh, Bethel that he was going to make him prosper. That's the promise he made. And now what's Jacob doing? He's praying. And so when we think of praying, we need to think of what is God asking of us. God's asking us for a pastor here. Are we praying that the Lord will provide a pastor God is, asked, God is asking us to do a various and different things. And are we praying? It seems as if God is asking us to pray for the things that he's asking us to pray. And he's encouraging us to pray for the things that he's asking us to pray for. When we pray, uh, we pray for, the, for what God wants uh, in this world, praying for God's will, not ours. Let's turn to uh, verse 23. This is the silent thing that happens here. This is a strange thing that happens here. Look at verse 23 to 25. All of the people have now moved across the brook. Uh, if you haven't looked at it carefully at all, but the brook is not J-O-K-O-B, but J-O-K-K-O-B. So Jacob, the brook of Jacob. But these, his, the wives and other are passing over. And all of a sudden now, he is um, in battle. He's wrestling with a man. Where did this man come from? Who is this man? When we go back in Genesis, we find Abraham is strangely giving uh, a tenth of all he has to Melchizedek. Who is this Melchizedek? If I'm not mistaken, Tyler said it could have been a Christophany, Christ appearance to Abraham. Uh, when Joshua was going into the promised land, he meets this um, warrior and he says, are you for us or against us? And then he suggests that that warrior in Joshua chapter 1 is another Christophany. And so here we have Jacob is battling this, this man in the dark. There's no words. They're not talking. They're just battling away for the longest time. Now we have to remember what Jacob uh, did when he first appeared on this planet. What did he do? He grabbed a hold of his brother's heel, Right? And his, he was named after that. So here he, is, he has got a hold of this person, this man. He's struggling away. No words are meant. No words are done, said. 
And it almost doesn't seem fair that this man touches his hip and he dislocates his hip, but Jacob's not going to let go. He's hanging on and he's not letting go in the darkness. He's still hanging on and we find that he wants to be blessed. And we find other times in which darkness falls upon this earth and not strange things, but wonderful things happen. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The earth fell dark for three hours. And there, the struggle wasn't simply with a man, but the struggle was with sin. And it was there at that point where Jesus suffered on the cross and died for us that we would have forgiveness of sins. And the whole world experienced darkness. And after three hours, he said, it is finished, and he died for the sins of the world. Well, they were struggling for the longest time, and this is the other strange thing. Look at verse 26. Then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. So what's so special about daybreak? That's a very, very good question. The man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, and Jacob had the upper hand. There was no evil being done. The only thing that was done was Jacob wanted a blessing. And if you read a little bit back further, he, he received the blessing when uh, Laban started to come after him. The Lord blessed Jacob by telling Laban, you can't touch Jacob. In a similar manner here, Jacob is struggling with this man and he wants him to bless him because he's afraid of Esau. And so the man simply turns to Jacob and asks, what's your name? Jacob, Jacob answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. Again, he doesn't want to tell him his name, but he does bless him. And Jacob said that this place is called Peniel because it because it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. All in the darkness. At that point, uh, the man leaves. Jacob is on his way, and he meets Esau. He realizes his brother doesn't want him dead anymore. And rather than going with Esau, he heads off to Zakath, where he's going to raise going to try to raise his 11 sons. Benjamin's going to come along very shortly. And everything should go well with him. Right? Raising 12 sons plus a daughter and everything's going to go well with him. Well, we know that that's not the case. But whatever happens, they may mean it for evil, but God will mean it for good. And God's providence brought him to Zakoth where he bought land and he's going to look after his family and things are not going to be as peaceful as 
he would hope. Well, what about you? What about your plans? Go back in time. When were you called? Or worse yet, when weren't you called? And what did you get into that was really not a very good thing for your life? Then God called you. And maybe he called you um, and called you to marry your wife. God called you. When he called you, where is your, where did he touch your hip? Where's the limp? What hurt when he called you? God justified you in Christ. You're forgiven of all your sin, so you're called, you're justified. And now, he's working on your life, glorifying your life. He's seeking that you find, uh, that you work on the fruits uh, of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. What, how is your life different? Is your name Israel now? Are you different? Um, uh, uh, like I mentioned before, um, Tyler ordered this book and uh, just before he left. And uh, I've only been able to get through this far. Not because it's hard, because it's awesome. And so when I read something and it's really, really oh, incredible, I put it down and I have to think about it for a while. And I shared with this with the Sunday school class, so I'm going to share this again with you because um, if you're Israel, if you've been born again, um, you can understand um, just the awesomeness that we have in Christ Jesus. Listen to this, uh, what John Piper said. The ultimate aim of God Think about that a little bit. The ultimate aim of God in promising and enacting the new covenant was to display the glory of God's grace. He did that to Jacob, displaying his grace, displaying the glory of God's grace, especially in the suffering of his son. Echoing forever in all satisfying praises of the redeemed. That's you and me. The ultimate aim of God in promising and enacting the new covenant was to display the glory of God's grace, especially in the suffering of his son, echoing forever in all satisfying praises of the redeemed. That's what happens here every Sunday morning is that we glorify God and his grace. Number two, no mere man should, could accomplish what the new covenant promises. The forgiveness of sins, the transformation of the human heart, and the revelation of God to be enjoyed as our God forever. 
Therefore, the glory of Christ's enactments of the new covenant is immeasurably greater because he was, in fact, no mere man, but God incarnate. All the beauties of the saving work of Christ are intensified because he was the divine son of God. displaying the glory of God's grace. At last, within God's ultimate aim of the new covenant is the reality that God's grace is the consummate expression of his glory. The climactic overflow of perfect cooperation of all his excellencies. That's what God does in his son to Jacob. Jacob was told he would bless the entire world. And he did that because he was the forefathers of Christ. And Christ was the one who displayed the incredible glory of God's grace on the cross for us to see, to enjoy and to echo for all eternity. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the lesson that we have in Jacob, that he would not let go until you blessed him. And we come before you and we ask you to bless us. Help us to see the glorious grace that's found in your son. Father, we pray for, especially Jim this weekend, that you would be with him and you would bless him during this challenging time and Carol as well. We pray these things and all things in Jesus' name. Amen.